Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. We hope that these resources aid your worship of God and help you experience gospel change for all of life. For more information on our church or to plan a visit, please check us out online at sovereignhope.church. That's sovereignhope.church. This morning, if if we can, if we can, well, I want to talk about the the relationship between prayer and missions, and and I like us to think big about missions. Uh, so global missions. What's the relationship with the proclamation of the gospel to the nations and prayer? Uh, uh, another question: local missions. What's the what's the relationship between the ministry of Sovereign Hope? Uh, as, as, as even we heard about the ministry at the university, what does that look like in relationship with prayer? And then also individual mission, knowing that God has put you uh, next to neighbors and coworkers and, and, uh, and, and relatives and the family. What is that relationship between prayer and your, and your individual mission that God has, has put you on? Uh, one of the things that I, that I love uh, and I've loved about learning different traditions when I married into an Italian family, uh, one of the things that I noticed right away is uh, Barbara's uh, uh, relatives, they, they send postcards wherever they go. And, and in my family, that wasn't a, a much of a tradition. But wherever the aunts and the uncles and cousins are traveling to in Europe or in Italy, they would often take time get a nice picture of the place that they're visiting and write a nice little message, you know, wish you were here or are thinking of you, uh, uh, having a great time. And then they would send that to us. And I always thought, what a nice way to show that they're thinking of us and the kindness of us. And I, I use that as an illustration just because I feel like sometimes in my life, the relationship between prayer and, and mission is kind, of, is kind of like a postcard. Uh, uh, I have this destination. I, I have this plan. I, I, know, I know what I want to do. I know God is supposed to be involved in this. And so I, I, send, I send this postcard to, to God who I know is watching, sometimes in, in, in poor thinking, far away. And, and in good times, I might, I might write down in this postcard, you know, having a great time. Or I might say, uh, you know, this is, uh, things couldn't be better. And in difficult situations, you know, the message might be, weather's not great, wish you were here, send money soon, uh, and, and sign it off with, with, with amen. You know, postcards, by definition and by design, are gonna be infrequent. And postcards, by design, are not going to be essential. And postcards by design aren't going to to expect a response. I don't know if you've read any books about mission. I was talking with some some of the members of your church about books they've read. One of my favorites about mission, and if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's a book by uh, Pastor John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. And he gives a better metaphor for prayer than postcards. He says we should have a mentality that prayer and missions is more like a walkie-talkie because the walkie-talkie is reminding us that the destination, wherever we're at, whether it's in a university or in a valley or across the Atlantic, whatever our destination is, it's not a vacation. And wherever we are, we recognize this is wartime 
and there's action and there's things that need to be done. And, and, and that walkie-talkie is reminding us that this is, this is not our mission. This is God's mission. And he has a plan, and we need to know exactly what that plan is. We need help, and he knows exactly how to give that help. And so with that walkie-talkie and prayer, we're recognizing that he's the commanding officer and, and that we're serving him and that we need him for every step that we take. Because unlike postcards, walkie-talkies by design is a frequent method of communication. And walkie-talkies by design are actually essential to being effective on the front line. And walkie-talkies by design are expecting a response. So if we can look together, if you have your Bibles, you can open up again to Colossians chapter four. It's the verse I believe will be up on the, on the screen for us as well. And we just want to look at those verses that we read, Colossians four, verses two to six. And if we can just ask these questions, why do we pray? How do we pray? And what do we pray? Why and, and how and what, and see that relationship that should exist between our concept of missions and prayer. First, uh, why we pray. Now, there's lots of reasons I know in my life why I don't pray, and probably one of the big ones in my life is going to be self-sufficiency. In, in some tweaked way in my brain, I can live like I really think that I have this figured out, like I've got this. Lord, I can do this. I have a plan, I have a team, we have an idea. And we can forget that sense of desperation that we need to be on God's mission. Now, arriving in Italy, I was reminded in several ways of the desperate need that I have. In Italy, you can feel when you're sharing the gospel some pretty big obstacles uh, uh, to faith. Uh, the first one, and I know it's a little bit of a stereotype, but it is true, uh, in Italy, the, the, the sense of family is extremely powerful and extremely strong. I grew up in, 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 uh, in Great Falls and in, in the United States. And, and for me, I felt that, that that pull maybe in work, you live where you can find the best job, the most fulfilling job, the best paid job. That seems to be what moves people around. But in Italy, that's certainly not the case. You, you, you find a job that's the best job that's close to your family. It would be, it would be silly to think that you're going to leave all of your family and friends over work. And you can, you can feel that when you're presenting the gospel. It's something that you, you, have to, you, have to, you have to address. I've talked with people, even people in our own family, who put their faith in, in Christ. And because they put their faith in Christ... That the family was upset, there was hurt feelings. A father said to this son who put his faith in Christ, you know, how could you do that to your mother? And so when you're, when you're in Italy, you can feel that obstacle and, and, and you know that the, the teaching of Christ, which you've, which, you've, which you've already heard in a sermon recently, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And it sounds and it feels like an impossible message 
in Italy. Another obstacle that we have, which is also a little bit of a stereotype, but it's true as well. In, in Italy, you know, they have a lot of wonderful things. They have pizza, they have gelato, they have coffee, they have gelato, they have, uh, they have fine wines and they have gelato, beautiful coastlines covered with gelateria, ice cream shops along the way. And so there's a real, there's a real pull, there's a, there's a real lie for the Italian people to think that's where we're going to find satisfaction. Oh, if we can only live there in the piazza, enjoying the beauties of our country, enjoying the beauties of our people. And so when you bring a message saying your soul is never going to be satisfied by all of those things, there can, there can be a sense of, oh, this is such a difficult task at hand. But maybe the, the, the and obviously not maybe, the biggest task that we have is a spiritual reality of Italians and also people from Missoula and all over the world is that we're, we're spiritually dead without Christ. Ephesians says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. I, I shared that I grew up in Great Falls and we have somebody else from uh, my, my, my church here. I lost track of him. Uh, and I, when, I was, when I was 25, turning 25, it was the day before I went to Italy for the first time, and it was my birthday. And uh, so because in Great Falls there's not a lot to do, my, my church kidnapped me, and blindfolded me, and threw me in the back of a Suburban and drove me about 30 minutes from Great Falls to this place where there's a beautiful picnic site along the river. And uh, when I got there, and they, they had me walk uh, across a wobbly bridge blindfolded, and when I got there, they took off the blindfold, and they said, surprise, and happy birthday. And at that point, at that point, there was, and I'll never forget this, there was a woman who ran to our little party, my church, she says, come, come. My son's friend has fallen. You have to come. And the, the, the man, my friend who had taken me, was a, was a fireman. And so he said, come with me. And so the two of us went over. And these two young men, a little younger than I was, I think they were 22 and 23, had been drinking. And one of them had fallen trying to climb a mountain and slid down. My friend saw the situation. He says, I want you to hold his head. They called for, for, for the ambulance, and my friend started to give CPR, and because it was near power lines, a helicopter couldn't land, and so it was this long period of time where I hear people screaming for this young man to wake up, my friend's doing everything he can to revive him, and there was a sense of me right there in the middle of this thinking, without, without help, there's nothing that can be done. And as I went to Italy the next day on the plane, that message was very present in my heart, reminding me there's no plan, there's no amount of effort, there's nothing that you can really organize to, to fix this problem. It's going to require sovereign grace, it's going to require God acting, it's going to require the Son saving, it's going to require the Spirit quickening. Without God, nothing can be done. 
And that's when we get a sense, the feel of that urgency of a walkie-talkie type of prayer. A second reason in my life that I can struggle with prayer and missions is what I call missional mutiny. And this is very common amongst missionaries is that we don't really say this, but we live like this, that the work that we're involved in and in, in, in wherever we're at, in our case in Italy, is somehow our work. This is our church plant. This is what we're doing. And we see in the passage in Colossians uh, chapter 4, uh, we see in the passage that Paul is talking about prayer in his declaring of the mystery of Christ Jesus. And this isn't, a new, this isn't a new word he's using to the Colossians. He's already talked about this word mystery in, 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 in three different times by, before you get to chapter four. And if you can turn in your Bibles to chapter one, we see the first two times he, he uses that word mystery. And this kind of helps us really answer the question, why do we pray? In Colossians chapter one, verses 24 to 27, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To do what? To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when Paul's asking for prayer about the declaration of the mystery, what he's saying is, that mystery is the fact that God the Father has given God the Son the nations, and when Christ came, he not only received and claimed those nations as his inheritance, but he's actually going to have union with those people. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, us in him. There's this divine union that's at the heart of the gospel message that, that Paul's calling here a mystery because this mystery was revealed in a, in a magnificent way when Christ came and he died and he rose from the grave. But that mystery was announced and hinted at for centuries. I mean, David was singing about it in his songs. Psalm 86, verse nine. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Or in Psalm two, verses seven to eight, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And so at the heart of this concept of mystery, we, we have in our mission a, a very clear goal. The goal of mission isn't 
for Elio and myself or for others to plant churches in Italy. The true goal is that God the Father, the God the Father has given to his son, in our context, Italians and Albanians and people from Colombia and people from Romania, and Christ came and he saved them perfectly. And now the Holy Spirit is, is working in miraculous ways, changing hearts of stone. And through this, in some amazing way, through proclaiming this message, these people's lives are, are, are turned upside down. Why? So that God can receive more glory, that the nations can find the true center, the true reason for their existence. That's the goal of missions, that there's going to be worshipers, that there's going to be people who are glorifying God together amongst the nations. And Paul's even clear in this passage, if you noticed it, he doesn't say, you know, God set me up to be a church planner, even though he was a church planner. He calls himself a term that really helps us to see that this is God's mission. He, he calls himself a steward. He's received a stewardship. God's given him a task. It's not Paul's task. This is God's task. And he needs to be faithful with what God has asked him to do. And what is that task? But making the word of God fully known. Or as we see in our passage, declaring the mystery of Christ. That message, that gospel we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Greeks, to the Jews, to the Italians, Missoula, even Great Falls. That's an amazing task. Paul had already talked about this too. He says in the beginning of, of, his, of his letter to the Colossians, talking about the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. It's the gospel that's bearing fruit and increasing. The reason why there's, there's churches in, in Trieste, and there's actually two in Trieste now, and one in Udine, the reason why is because that gospel is powerful and produces fruit. That's why we pray. Because God speaks and he says, let there be light, and there's light. That's why we pray. Because Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth. We're declaring the mystery of Christ. So those two obstacles that I told you about in Italy that feel very challenging, the family and the culture. For me, in my strength and in my wisdom, I can start biting my nails but I'm reminded once again that Jesus says what I will build my church and not even the gates of hell are going to be able to stop me. So if idolatry of the family or idolatry of the culture, they're not too powerful. They're not too strong. They can't withstand the gospel. That's why we pray. Even, even in, the, in the Great Commission that we know so well, 
We know the beginning part so well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, be careful, attention, I am with you always. I'm not behind you. I'm not distant. I'm not, don't send me a postcard. I'm with you. Pick up the walkie-talkie and talk to me because I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. That's the promise. That's why, why, why we are praying. Because dead men can't be changed through missionaries. And blind men don't get sight through a five-year plan. And hearts of stone can't be softened by my sweat and tears but they can be changed through the power of the gospel, through the blood of Jesus Christ that brings light where there's darkness and life where there's death. That's why we pray. Secondly, how we pray. Paul says in verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So he gives us three ways to think about prayer. Steadfastly, watchfully and with thanksgiving. That first word steadfastly has that context of clinging, which is a great metaphor also for the walkie-talkie. We're clinging to something. Like a father and a son who are walking, the little boy is scared and he's continually looking to make sure his father is right there with him. That's how we're praying. We're, we're being continuous about it. And praying continually for you can mean lots of things. It can mean waking up in the morning. It can be making your requests known. It could be thinking about your day, where you're going to be, and asking God, is there somebody at my work or when I'm at the grocery store or where I'm at the co-op or wherever I am that I could actually talk to about you? Or, or maybe you have a list of people that you know need to hear the gospel and you're praying, Lord, is it today? Or maybe you have a list of missionaries. Uh, we just saw in Pastor Tyler's house a big bunch of popsicle sticks full of people and missionaries and all sorts. Are we, are we praying for all of the missionaries and the ministry at the university? Are, are, we, are we starting, are we, are we continuously doing that? Or maybe for you, continuously also means praying throughout the day. You're going to meet someone and you're asking, Lord, give me the right words now. I need your help now. Or maybe continuously for you is at the end of the day and in the evening and you're asking, Lord, would you work in the heart of that person that I talked to? Or Lord, did I miss something today? Is there someone I should have talked to today that I could talk to tomorrow? Or maybe continuously means for you a prayer meeting. You know, a mission-minded church is a praying church. And one of the signs of a church that's struggling with self-sufficiency is how hard it can be for us sometimes to get together and pray. And it can be other things too. When I was younger, I loved these all-night prayer meetings or prayer walks or Zoom meets or family prayer time. Continuously and steadfastly can mean a lot. Second, Paul says, watchfully. You know, I talked about postcard prayers and postcards don't expect a response. You don't put a, a return address on a postcard. You just kind of cross your fingers and hope it gets there. But when we're praying, 
watchfully. We're expecting God to listen. We're, we're, we're believing in faith that he's at the other end of the walkie-talkie. We're, we're waiting and watching because if we're asking for reinforcements, we're expecting him to send reinforcements. If we're on the walkie-talkie and we're saying we need direction, we are waiting and listening and watching for him to give direction because we believe Prayer that's not watchful is prayer that's based on unbelief. But, but because we believe, we're watching and waiting to see what God is doing. So maybe your prayer is, God, who can I share the gospel with today? And you're, and you're watching. You're waiting. You're looking and, and listening for a response. And third, he says also, thankfully. When we're hard at work in missions and there's a lack of prayer, we tend to go in one of two directions. One is going to be feeling when things are going well, a sense of self-righteousness. You know, look at what I've done. Look how successful this is. Another tendency that we have when things aren't going so well is gonna be discouragement. Why did I do that? What in the world was I thinking? But when we're praying, and we're praying with thanksgiving, we're, we're recognizing what a privilege it is for us to be able to be the ones who bring the good news of the gospel to other people. It, it, you remember those stories in the gospel when Jesus told people that he, they, they couldn't tell anyone, see that you say nothing to anyone? That would be difficult. But that's not what God's given to us. He says, you know that message that turned your life upside down? You know when you were struggling so much to be satisfied and then you met Christ? You get the privilege of participating in the ministry of the gospel by opening your mouth and telling people about it. That's, that's a privilege. So we're praying continuously. We're praying watchfully. We're praying with thanksgiving. And Paul also tells us what we pray. He says, first of all, we're praying and we're talking to God about people. Specifically, he talks about uh, God opening the door for his word. Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. I find, I find that verse extremely humbling. And I can tell you right now, I know Daniel's been so good. I know a lot of you are receiving our newsletters. And if I end up in prison, probably for any reason, <laughs> certainly for the proclamation of the gospel, I'm going to write in my newsletter, please pray to get me out of here. There's a church, there's my family. I have things to do, I need to be out. But notice that Paul in prison isn't thinking, how do I get out? Paul in prison, he's saying, how does this word get out? And so Paul in prison is saying, I just want a crack. I just want a way so that, that word, the, that mystery about Christ can be proclaimed and God can be fully known. I wanna, I wanna get that out. So can you pray, not that I get out of, of here, but pray that the word of God can get out of here. That's, that's a, humbling, a humbling request. 
I love to tell this story, and it kind of sums up a lot of the things that we've been talking about so far. Uh, I had been in Trieste about five years, and I was really looking to God, saying, God, would you help me get that word out? Can you help, show me, help me? There's so many people in Trieste. It was a quarter, it's about a quarter of a million people in the area. There's probably 200, 250 believers in the whole town. Lord, can you just show me? There's so many people. How? Help me. And uh, when I came to church, and our churches uh, are often, at the, they're like a storefront on a big apartment building on the bottom floor. And I came on a Sunday morning, and I go to the mailbox to pull out uh, a, a, just the, the mail. Often there's just like advertisements that you clear out your, your mailbox for. And so we typically check the church mailbox every couple of days. And I pulled it out, and there was this, this advertisement. There was a, a gospel music workshop concert and there was somebody who wrote yeah you're you're welcome to come to this gospel music uh concert you know it was it wasn't it wasn't linked with any any church it was just the gospel music culture and the in the and the concert was on uh on uh on saturday night it was sunday morning i'm like we already missed it anyway and so i got this advertisement like all advertisements i just crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage when some other sisters from the church came and I was telling them about this concert that had just taken place and someone had come and they wrote their phone number down about information about this, uh, one of them says, you know, maybe we should call that person. I said, oh, whatever. So we, I took the, 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 the old crumpled up advertisement and I, I gave it to Barbara and Barbara called up the phone number and she talked with this woman and this woman started to have a Bible study she was curious. She wanted to have a Bible study. So Barbara started to go through uh, uh, the book of Romans with her. And then from that, uh, she invited us to her house, and I met her husband. And her husband, ooh, he was very suspicious of all of this. They were, they were a, a devout Catholic uh, young couple. And when I went over to eat at their house, you know, before I asked, can I pray before we eat? And, you know, the, the wife said, sure, sure, please, please. And so I prayed. And when I finished, I said, amen. The husband looked at me glee, like a Clint Eastwood glare. And he did the hardest sign of the cross you could possibly do. Like, you're not fooling me, pal. Uh, and so there was a little bit of tension in the beginning. But then as a couple, they started reading. They started coming to our church services. We were going through the gospel of John. And then before I know it, both of them are making professions of faith in Christ. And then after that, they were baptized. And about five or six years later, he becomes an elder of the church. And then a few years later, he becomes the pastor of the church. And that's actually the story of the salvation of Elio and Nicoletta that you guys are praying for and supporting. And all of that was like in a garbage can. And I love that story because, first of all, it shows how, how pastorally sensitive I am. Just like, just throw that away. But it's also a reminder of how good God is that there were people who, and I was praying, and even if I needed help and I did need help, were praying, God, open a door, and God answered and said, oh, look, there's a door. And so we picked that little door out of the garbage can because I wasn't being very watchful but some of those women in the church were being very watchful and we called and God through 
that message changed a family is now is changing a town. And just to encourage you, Elio right now is, is on the board of a gospel coalition in, in Italy. He's training young uh, uh, future uh, leaders, young men who are going to become pastors and elders all over Italy. And I just smile because I can just see, I can still see that crumpled up piece of paper in the garbage can. That's, that's open doors. That's what we need help for. Lord, there's so many people. Show me, guide me. I need you. But we're not only praying to God about people. We're also praying about talking to people about God. And Paul says here that he needs, he needs help to make that message known with clarity as we, as we ought to. And that's true. This message is so beautiful. We need help in making that clear. Now, Okay, I'm gonna, this is full confession. Uh, uh, so I speak Italian, I do. But everybody in Italy knows that I originally came from Great Falls. There's, there's no way I can hide that from, from anybody. And Barbara, she's tried her best in 23 years uh, to help me with that. 21 years of marriage, she's done her best, but there's still difficulty in, in, in a foreign language making that gospel message clear. I remember in my, in my beginning, I, I, I preached a sermon and I could tell I was really connecting with people, a lot of them non-believers, and as I'm speaking, they're leaning forward in their chair, just desperate to hear every word. I was so excited. And I thought that I was preaching about the will of God. I learned that I gave a 45-minute sermon about the steering wheel of God. So... Their leaning forward was really just, maybe closer, it'll be easier. I don't know. That's, that's, that's difficulty. I, I, I talked about uh, a message about uh, uh, Paul. He was, he was planting churches. I was so happy. But what I really said was Paul is sinking so many churches. The word is very similar. I need, I'm telling you, I need help to this day with the clarity of communicating the truth. And that's true for all of us, even if we don't have to speak in a different language. There's something so beautiful and so simple and so, and so magnificent about the gospel. And can we be praying, God, can I make that clear? I don't want to muddle it up with all sorts of craziness. I, I want to I tell people who Jesus is and who we are and what he's done and what that means. Can I make that clear? But we also need to be walking in wisdom towards outsiders. As we, as we proclaim, how we live is very important. We're having a baptism uh, after I told you and when we get back, there's gonna be three people baptized. One of them, his name is Sergio and Sergio's wife got saved a long time ago and he's been to a lot of different places, and he was just resistant to the gospel. And he told me about a week before we came, he said, you know, I almost didn't even walk into the church because I was so fed up with how people were living who said that they were Christians. And so I said, okay, well, well how come you stayed? He said, because I stayed to listen because I saw people who weren't perfect, but at least they were trying to have their lives line up with the message that they were talking about. 
how we live in walking in wisdom towards outsiders does open up chances, open up doors for the gospel to go out. Paul also says we should be doing this with urgency, making best use of time or older translations, redeeming the time, buying the time. You know, time is short. God's given us this moment. He's given you this day. He's put you in this moment near people. And we need to be praying and thinking about what are we doing with today? You have one life. What are you doing with your life? Is it a steward? Are you serving someone else? Are you investing? Are you saying, God, it's not about what my dream is. This is about what your plan is. And Lord, help me to, with urgency, make the best use of that time. But he also says our speech should be with grace. Let your speech always be gracious. No one's gonna be bullied into the kingdom. We're never gonna win someone to Christ through some kind of clever argument or intimidation. If the message we're we're communicating is a message of grace, then how we say it also needs to be gracious. And also, Paul says it should be seasoned with salt. Ah, salt's great because it brings out the best flavor in something. And so somehow we pray, God, in the way that I communicate it, can you bring out what's so amazing about amazing grace? Can can you bring out what the words that I use, what's, what's so spectacular about the gospel? And finally, Paul says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love this because This is implying when we're having gospel conversations with people, it's a dialogue. We're recognizing as this church that people have questions. And even if they don't say the questions, they have the questions. And Paul says we need to be answering those questions to each person. Because sometimes people have different questions. And one of the fun parts about the last two years of ministries, I've noticed that in Trieste, and Trieste is kind of a party town. They have the sea, they have sailboats, they love coffee, they love having a good time. Why work when you can have fun? And that creates its own set of idols and questions. And in those first years of ministry was really learning, how do I answer that local Triestino with the gospel to the questions that they have. It's also a center of physics. So they have lots of questions. And so we're saying, this is what God says about those questions. But then when we started working in Udine, which is hardworking, we work hard, we save our money, we don't act like those people from Trieste, we're different than that. They're more, they're more, they're more uh, focused on the family, protecting, they have their own fears. And now we're learning, they have different questions, but that gospel, that same message, answers them. But we have to be able to hear that they're coming from different places. Each person has questions. Each generation, the people at university is different than the people my age, which is different from the people who are older. Every generation, we have our questions. You know, we live in this world right now. How many questions do we have? And yet the gospel is going to be answering each of our fears. That's what Jesus did. You, you, you see him dealing with, uh, with, the, with uh, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and then you read the next chapter. He's taking that same message where he's the answer to the woman at the well. So what is our response? First, if there's a lack 
of walkie-talkie type of prayers in your life, if your life is anything like mine, it's because there's self-sufficiency. And it needs to be clear, self-sufficiency is sin. Relying on ourselves is not the message of the gospel. Relying on Christ is the message of the gospel. So we, we, need, to, we need to confess our prayerlessness and we need to recognize that God has something better for us. In my own life, I often feel very condemned about the lack of prayer that comes out of my mouth. But that same gospel that we are proclaiming to the world is the same gospel that we need to be proclaiming to our own hearts. That yeah, I might be self-sufficient, but Christ certainly was perfectly dependent upon the Father. I might lack prayer, but Jesus certainly was in constant communication with the Father. And he prayed for us the night before he was killed. And he drank the cup to take on our self-sufficiency and our lack of prayer so that what he did could become ours. And not only that, through his death and resurrection, he promises to change us, to make us like him, that we can become day by day more dependent. We can become year by year more men and women of prayer. So if you struggle with prayer, the message is the same message that we're preaching to others, that we'd run to Christ, find forgiveness and transformation. Secondly, can we be praying? Can we continue to pray for God's mission? And I say that on all of the levels. Think about in your own life, can you make a commitment to pray for people who need to know Jesus around you? Can you make a list or put them on popsicle sticks or whatever it takes so that we can be a praying people for the mission that God's called us in or maybe local missions for the, the ministry of Sovereign Hope. There's so much to be done. There's so much beautiful work in the university, but we, we, we need to feel like we're desperate about it. We need to, we need to be reminded that, uh, I think her name was Kenzie, if I'm not mistaken. There, there's, no, there's no way she can do this on her own, but Christ can, and he's gonna build his church so through his guidance and power, there can be effective and powerful ministry there, so we pray. And finally, can, can we be praying for the global church and for global missions, that God would continue to work in Italy? Italy never experienced the Reformation. Can we pray for a Reformation now? Can we pray that God's gospel would go forward in this moment? Can we, can we communicate to him how desperate and dependent we are? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for your word that reminds me and humbles me that this is not, this is not about sovereign hope. This is not about Forte Roca. This is not about Tre. This is not about Tyler or, or Matt or Elio or anybody else. This is about you. This is about what you're doing. And this is about your kingdom. 
And this is about your glory. And Lord, we, we, we recognize and confess that without you, we, we really can do nothing. And so because of that, may that sink deep into our hearts, Lord, until we become a praying people, a people who recognize that we, we, we're dependent upon you. We must hear your voice. We must see the doors that you're opening. We must be able to listen and follow your path and your plan. And God, I pray that we'd be faithful and confident to go forth through the power of the Spirit and proclaim your truth. And Lord, that you would be doing amazing things in this valley, in this country, and in this world. Lord, we give you all of the glory, and we long for the day that we can sing with all of the nations forever and ever about your great salvation and about your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.